are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. The title of my sermon this morning is, Why Bother? Have you ever found yourself saying that? Oh man, why bother? You know what, like, it, 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 it can be, it, we can use this, th- this sentence, this phrase in almost anything in life, can't we? You know, you, you start a diet and you, you drop 10 pounds and then you go away on your cruise and you gain 20 and you're like, why bother? You know, you, 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 go, you go away and you, you, you come back and you, you've, you sat down, you've, teach, you've taught your children and you, you've walked with something and say, okay, guys, remember, don't do this. This is not right. And they, they do it again for the thousands of time and you're like, why bother? See, why bother is really one of those phrases, one of those sentences, I believe, that can really affect us not only as a people, but affect us in our spiritual walk when all of a sudden we get to that place where the rubber hits the road. We get to that place where it's just kind of like we're pressing in for prayer. We're pressing in for answers. We don't see it coming to fruition, and we're like, God, why bother? Why bother? This Christian road, it's not easy. It's tough. It's a tough road, but we know that the Lord says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Amen? I shared a couple weeks ago about uh, just sort of briefly, I believe in the announcements or something like that, about my, my son Lucas. And uh, Lucas and I, we decided that we wanted to do some. He really likes bike riding, and, and you know, I, uh, I haven't been on my bike since I was like 16. Uh, so I'm like, he's like, Dad, can we go bike riding? I'm like, ah, yeah, sure, let's do it. So as we're doing this bike riding thing, he's like, Dad, let's go find some hills. we got to go off-road. and Come on, Dad, let's find some hills and do some crazy things. Let's do some jumps, Dad. This is going to be awesome. I'm like, okay, let's go kill ourselves. Let's go. So we start going, and, and, and day one, we're out hitting all these hills, and, 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 and it worked out really well. And, and he's like, Dad, that was so cool. And the next day, he's like, Dad, can we do it again? I'm like, yeah. So we went up top of Radar Hill there, and, and we just went down that hill. And he's like, this is so cool. And it's like, yeah, that was awesome. So the day three went out again, and we hit all these hills. And I said, okay, let's go back. Now he goes, no, Dad, let's go further. Let's go further than we've ever been before. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So I, we went further, and, and, and we went through this farmer's field and onto uh, this quad trail that, that uh, I, believe it, I believe is part of African, uh, the African trail there. And we, we hit it, and, and now, like, we're going through sand and sludge and mud, and, and there's water hill holes there that the quads have ripped up that are deeper than me. Like, you get lost in there. And, and, and we're going around that, and, and poor, I got the big bike, and Lucas has got the little bike with the little tires, and, and I'm trying to be that dad. I'm trying to be that dad that is just kind of like, come on, this is awesome. But yet we're pushing our bike more than we're riding our bike. And as he's pushing his bike, like we are in a, a muskeg and there's millions of mosquitoes just eating us alive. And I'm like, come on, hurry up, son. Let's get going. And he's like, dad, I'm tired. I'm like, we can't rest in a swamp. We got to go. He's like, oh, dad. I'm like, you're the one who said you wanted to keep going. So we're going. Come on, let's go. So we, we push through and we push through and we push through till finally after like an hour in this, after a million mosquito bites, we come out to this hill. 
And we're like, I look down the hill, I'm like, oh, yeah. This is the king of hills. It was way back by Provincial Park, way back there by Provincial Park. And there was two moose out in the field, a, a cow and a calf moose, and they're eating. I'm like, son, look at the moose. Like, what a great father-son time. Look at the moose. He's like, wow, Dad, that's so awesome. I'm like, okay, you ready to do this hill? He's like, let's do it, Dad. He's like, you go first. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, I said, you can do it, son. He goes, you know what? You promised, Dad, I can do it. I said, yeah, you can do it. I promise. All you need to do is ride your brakes. You know, don't go down too quick. You just ride your brakes down. It's going to be awesome. So then he goes down the hill, and as he goes down the hill, he picks up a lot of speed. And instead of him riding his brake, he panics. And when he panics, he takes his feet off the pedals, and he tries to stop with his feet. Well, of course, that doesn't work. He flips over halfway down the hill, and he bites it hard. I'm like, wow. I wish I had a camera for YouTube. Like, that was awesome. So all of a sudden, I, I'm looking at the top of the hill down on my son, wondering if he's dead. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, I hear this scream. The moose take off. They're gone. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, oh, man. So I, I, I go down the hill, and I stop by him, and I'm like, y'all right, bud? He's like, no. And I check him out just to see if he's okay, and I'm like, we got a long ways to go home. So I'm like, well, buddy, you know what? When you fall off your bike, you got to get back on. You got to do it. And he's like, forget it. I'm not getting back on my bike. I'm like, son, you are getting back on your bike. Let's go. We got a long ways to go. Uh-uh, forget it, dad. And we have this argument in the middle of this field. And then finally, he gets back on his bike. I'm like, we got to do it. We're, we're pushing through. We got to go back in through a muskeg and go all around this, this place. And every time we hit a hill, even tiny hills, he would get off his bike and walk his bike down. And I'm just getting, like, the frustration is just building and building and building. I'm like, Lucas, come on, buddy. Like, get back on your bike. Let's go, man. Like, you can't do this. So finally, we get home. We've been out for probably about four hours. I walk in the door. Lucas is still putting his bike away, and Cindy says, how was your trip? Well, how do you think it was? I'm four hours out biking with Lucas. It was terrible. If that is father-son bonding, then you know what? I would have been better off if I had just stayed at home and did nothing. And I walked in that place, and I believed that, and I'm just kind of like, you know what? And I, and I would say to Lucas, I'm like, you know what? Do you want to go biking again? No, me neither. Great. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is we do that spiritually. You know, it's so easy for me as a dad to say, you know what? Fine. I tried the fathering thing. I tried to be the dad. I tried to be the adventure stirrer. But you know what? It didn't work. In fact, it, it bombed. It, it hit hard. So why do it again? Why bother? But we do that in our, as crazy as that sounds, we can go through life believing lies like that. And then though that story taught me a really life lesson, I also received some revelation during that season but how we as believers can miss out on our destinies because we feel somehow that our past our sins, our, the decisions that we've made have stamped a big null and void right across our foreheads. And we walk around life saying, you know what, God, maybe I had a dream in my heart at one time. 
Maybe, Lord, I really believe that you said this for my life at one time. But God, why bother? Because you know my life. You know what I've done. And Lord, I can never measure up to what you expect me to be. You ever found yourself saying, man, I wish I could just turn back time? If I could turn back time. Thank you. If I could only turn back time, I would have never, ever done that. You know, it's something that happens to us years ago, and the memory haunts us for fear that that one irresponsible action will cause people to label us. So it's much better just to hide it. Hide it away, yet with hiding it, you never know when it's going to surface, and there's a constant turmoil that takes place with inside of us. See, the enemy wants us to believe that your past mistakes your, your, is going to affect uh, your present identity. Things like addictions, promiscuity, divorce, bankruptcy. David, the king of Israel, is sitting in this place when one day he decides to go for a walk on the roof. We read this in 1 Samuel 11.1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelites' armies to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and said, Let, laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. See, David was bored. I, I, I shared a little while ago about having an adventure in the Holy Spirit. And we need to be, as believers, we need to be so engaged that we're not living a, a boring life. Because if we're living a boring life, if our life consists to wake up at 5, go to work, come home at 6, eat supper, go to sleep at 10, and that's what happens day after day after day. You know what? You're setting yourself up for sin. Because when boredom sets in there, that sin gives us a sense of adventure that is kind of like, man, this is something different. David was bored. He should have been out fighting but yet he found himself lying around. He found himself sitting around the palace when all of a sudden that temptation comes. So he walks up on the roof. And in verse 2 we read, Late one afternoon after the midday rest, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace. As he took a look over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone out to find out who she was and he, to- and he was told, She is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when, he came, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just returned home, uh, she just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home, and later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. This is the first mention of the Bible, the rhythm method. Why is it that this is in the Bible? Maybe she, uh, she's tired, uh, she tried to discourage him. Maybe she was so prideful that he thought, I'm the king and I can do whatever I want. But whatever it is, now he's in trouble. So he gets to thinking, man, you know what? If anyone finds out about this, I'm in trouble. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring home Uriah. I'm going to call him from the battlefield. I'm going to have him come home. He'll lay with his wife. Bada boom, bada bing. Congratulations, you're a dad. But see, what happens is when she calls up Uriah, Uriah says, what are you doing? I can't leave my men. 
we're in the middle of battle right now. What are you calling me home for? So instead of going home and laying with his wife, he stands guard at the palace saying, you know what? I'm on duty and I'm going to stay on duty. Uriah was a man of integrity. So when all of a sudden he finds out that, you know what? This is not working. He sends Uriah off to the front lines where he knows that his death is imminent. David not only slept with his wife, but to cover his sin, he executed a loyal servant, then took his wife and married her. David now had a secret, one that he would not have wanted anyone to know. You know what? There's power in secrets. I imagine in a room this size, there's a whole lot of secrets. And church is a place where we need to be able to come together. And the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. Why would it say that? Because we're totally, in our culture, in our day, we don't want to do that. That's crazy. If I tell someone about this, then it's going to get out and everyone's going to label me. Everyone's going to label me as this, as that, as that. And I tell you what, I'm not going to let that happen. So the best thing is just let nobody know. There's secrets in marriage. There's secrets in, 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 in accountability groups. But my friends, the church has to be a place where we can come and say, this is who I am. This is what, I, this is what I've done. And you know what? What I've done in my past is not going to define who I am in my future. Because I'm seeking forgiveness. I'm seeking his face. And that's what's important. But nothing is more isolating than a secret sin. And the enemy wants you to keep that secret. Why? Because God will not heal what you do not confess. Confession is a way we accept God's holy diagnosis. Have I ever told you guys that Cindy and I, we got married by a prison chaplain? And he was... The chaplain um, of Drumheller's uh, Medium Maximum Security. And he gave us a tour of the, of the facility one day. And he says, you know what, Lance? One of the hardest things about being a chaplain is my phone, my phone is, uh, there's two phones in the, whole, in the whole jail system. And my phone, I can allow any prisoner to use it if there's good cause for them to be able to use it. And he says, and my phone is not tapped. It's illegal for my phone for people to listen into my conversation where all of the phones are tapped and the, and the guards and the wardens and all that kind of stuff would listen in the phone calls. So what happens is the prisoners come up with a whole bunch of, they use manipulation to be able to get access to that phone because they can make a hit, they can order in drugs, they can do whatever they want, and nobody will know because it's secret. And he says, and what these prisoners do, they're masters at manipulation. He says, they, if they can get a guard, if they can get somebody on the outside to come by and say, listen, listen, I need a pack of smokes, and, and here's what I'm going to do. I'll give you 100 bucks if you bring in some cigarettes for me. And the, guy, the guard's like, well, 100 bucks? Absolutely. So he brings in, he sneaks in the contraband, and they call it the bait and hook. Because once that happens, once the guard agrees to that, the guard's thinking that, man, I don't know what a pack of cigarettes is, 10 bucks. I'm making $90 profit. So they do that, and when they do that, all of a sudden the, 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 the prisoner has got the guard because if, that fi- if they find out that that is what happened, the guard is immediately fired. So then the prisoner uses that bait and hook to be able to get what he wants because he's got the guy by the, by the, by the, uh, the scruff of the neck. 
Also, where's uh, Kristen and Nish? You guys just came back from, from uh, uh, Sri Lanka. I hear there's snakes in Sri Lanka. Did you guys see any snake, snakes where you're gone this time? No? You killed one. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. It was a king cobra. Yeah, <laughs> she killed it. And, and what kind of snake was it, Nish? A poisonous snake, but you don't know the name of it. Just a mean one, though. Right. It was the baddest, meanest snake you've ever seen in your life. See, I, was, I, was told, I, was, I heard one time from a guy, and whether this is true or not, but it does make sense to me. And uh, in places like where Nish is from, Sri Lanka, where there's poisonous snakes, of course, their family's important, so what they do is they take a cage, and they put that cage out with, like, a rabbit in it. And then the snake will come into the hole, and it will eat the rabbit, but once it eats the rabbit, it can't digest the rabbit. So then the snake is caught, caught in the cage. It can easily get in, but it can't get out, and then it's easy for the person who owns that house to be able to kill them. You see, that's exactly what the de- devil's like. If he can get us as a believer just to kind of hide something in our life, to say, you know what, this is not really important. You know what, this, has been, this happened so long ago that nobody really needs to know this kind of stuff. Where darkness is, that's where sin thrives. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to shine light on it, when we allow the Holy Spirit to be able to minister to our spirits, that's when we get true freedom. Anyone in this room like exams? Man, in school, I hated them. I'd get all nervous. Even when you go to the doctor, they take your blood pressure, it just goes up because you're having your blood pressure checked. Why is that? Because exams reveal what I don't know or perhaps what I don't want to know. But I've come to terms with the fact that, well, I may not like them, I need them. For the only other alternative is ignorance, and ignorance is not always bliss. Do you know that skin cancer, if it goes undetected, it can go into the bloodstream and spread through the entire body? What is true physically is also true spiritually. If we turn a blind eye to sin, if it doesn't just go away, in fact, it goes from bad to worse, and you cannot heal from it until you are diagnosed from it. It's not easy, is it? Man, what is easy, and what we prefer to do is watch reality shows. There's, you know, live our lives vicariously through all kinds of sports people, all kinds of TV shows, heroes and villains. Some of people know more about celebrities than they do about their own lives. We need to be willing to stand in that place and say, God, examine my heart, Father God. Because, Lord, there's things in my life that I don't even realize that's in there. Each one of us. The only solution to superficiality is self-examination. We've got to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Mirrors come in many different shapes and sizes, don't they? Sometimes our mirror in the spirit can be a prophet who helps us see the blind spots in our lives. Sometimes it's a God-given epiphany that pulls back the veil and reveals the glory of God in new ways. Sometimes it's an accountability partner who asks us those tough questions and we answer them with truth and integrity. Sometimes it's through relationship. Men, we can be wounded in relationship, can't we? But we can also be healed through relationship. For a true friend is not someone who always tells us the stuff we want to hear, but points out in love the spots that we cannot see. 
But the greatest mirror that we as believers have is the Word of God. The Bible is the only book that has withstood the test of time. It's not a book that, uh, through, uh, that we read through and through, but we need to meditate upon it and allow it to saturate our hearts. So the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet to David, to show him what the Lord saw and what he did, to allow David to know that he wasn't walking where the Lord had planned for him. Now imagine Nathan the prophet. Prophets in the past have been killed for telling kings bad messages. You know, the king had the power that if all of a sudden the prophet came and said, this is what the Lord's saying, and the king didn't like it, he could say, guards, take him away and execute him. So this is, that pressure is on Nathan to be able to stand in that place. Will I, will I listen to what God is telling me to, or will I fear man? So Nathan tells David a story that David could totally relate to. It's in 1 Samuel 12. He said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. So instead, he took the ewe lamb, the one that belonged to the poor man, and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you as king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hands of Israel. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave all your Israel and Judah, and if, you had, and if this had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife by your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That is a powerful, powerful statement. David walked in in that place of repentance. Lord, help us to understand repentance. I think we of people have adopted a lifestyle of, my bad. You know what? I just hear that all over the place. Something happens, it's like, oh, my bad. And what does my bad mean? It means nothing. It's just a little joke. It means, you know what? So what? You know what, guys? I just, just need these two right now. Thanks. It, you know, it, it, we, we walk in that place and just kind of sit there and just say absolutely nothing. You know what? My bad. But when we get to that place and we fall on our face before God and say, God, you are God. And Lord, I need to repent before you. Lord, I need to seek your face and say, Lord, this is all, not all right. This is not all right in my spirit. 
David went back to those moments before he was a king, before he was a conqueror, before all the fame and the position. And as a shepherd boy, he would sing songs to the Lord in his years of equipping where he first learned the art of the sling and the beauty of the lyre. You know what? There's something about Psalms 51, and I'm going to read this to you. And when I was preparing for this message, the Lord just opened up my eyes in such a supernatural way. Where all of a sudden it was kind of like, you know what, God? I understand, Lord. And I'm just going to ask everybody this morning, if you, would, if you would just take a few moments, close your eyes, prepare your hearts. As I read Psalms 51, let it not be a scripture that I just read out and we just kind of read it read along, but we allow it to penetrate our hearts. Remember, David wrote this psalm. And as he wrote this psalm, he sat in that place of repentance before the Lord. Would you close your eyes as we meditate upon this together? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, would you blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time that my mother conceived me yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb you taught me wisdom in that secret place cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I'll be whiter than snow Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your rejoices. Open my lips, open my mouth, and they will declare your praise. You do not delight in a sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar, King, God, with a heavy heart, He is singing to the Lord a love song. 
and it simply went. Then everything we feel, we sacrifice to the Lord our time, money, prayers, are not delighted by the Lord until they are preceded by a broken spirit and a tender heart to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me cast me not away from thy presence oh God take not thy Holy Spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew our right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew our right spirit within me. Create in me a clean And renew our right spirit within me. And cast me not away from thy presence, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me restore unto me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit Bible lists all the kings, and it tells us if they were godly kings or not. For example, 2 Kings 18 tells us about Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, who began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But then we read a little bit further in 2 Kings 21 about Manasseh. He was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, following the detestable practices from the nations the Lord has driven out before the Israelites. What about David? David committed murder. David was an adulterer. David did some things that were really, really bad that would, that would end him up in jail for a very, very long time. What does the Bible have to say about David? 
see that in 1 Kings 15.5 when it says, David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commandment all the days of his life except, and it talks about Uriah. See, the Bible doesn't ignore David's sin, but it makes David an exception to the rule where he remains a good king. This goes for the same for you and I today, simply by confessing it. For when you confess your sins, it no longer defies you. You are now defined by the grace of God. David was not defining his sin, and neither are we. He was not defined by his sin, and neither are we. Not if we are in Christ, by the gift of forgiveness, you are no longer judged by what you have done wrong, but we are judged now by what Christ has done right friends some of us have been carrying things for many many years and the Lord's like don't let that define you the enemy wants to hold you back he wants to mar your birthright he wants you to think that you're null and void for what God has for you in your future are you going to believe a lie this morning or are you going to listen to the truth? Christianity is not something that we do. It's who we are. Every single one of us has been bought with a price. And we can come into the throne room of God and say, God, would you wash me clean? Would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? Would you renew my spirit? Because God, I just kind of feel like I'm over here somewhere, God. And Lord, I want to be right in the center of your will. You are my Father. You love me so much that you sent your Son to die so I do not have to. I I love what David says in there. You you don't want me to go out and kill a bull. That was the practice back then. When you sinned, you you made a sacrifice before the Lord. He says, you know what? You don't want me to kill a bull. You don't want me to go and, and make some kind of a sacrifice to you. What you want is a broken heart. What you want is me to get on my face before God and say, Lord, I repent, God. And Lord, would you change me, God? Would you blot that out, Father? And as David did that, The Lord then writes, David did what was acceptable. David did what was honorable in the Lord's sight. Man. My friends, I really believe that this next stage of revival, this next part of the church, is going to be something that we've never seen before. It's going to be come through confession. It's going to come through people who perhaps we've known for years saying, this is who I am. And like Jacob, I am Jacob, the liar, the thief, the usurper. And the Lord says, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will now be called Israel. And God is going to give us a new name because we are not what people what past experiences, what past failures deem who we are. We're going to walk through the fire 
without even smelling a smoke. And the Lord's going to say, you are my beloved. I call you son. I call you daughter. You don't have an accountability partner. Man, give your head a shake. Your eyes are stuck. Get one. Walk in that place and say, you know what? I need this in my life. Every single time, every church that I've ever pastored, one of the first things I do is I find somebody and I link myself to them. Because you know what? I can fall. I can stumble. I can trip up. And my heart's prayer is, Lord, help me, God, to walk with a clean hands and a pure heart because I know, I've seen with my eyes the devastation of what happens when a leader falls. And Jesus, let that not happen here in Christ's name. Lord, give us grace. But you know what? As a pastor, even in this church, I've walked through many who've had failures, who've had difficulties because sin is crouching at your door. My friends, that was a warning that God gave to Cain. Cain, sin is crouching at your door and he chose to ignore it. Would you find the Lord today and say, God, I need to listen to you, God. Because Lord, my marriage, my children, my legacy, my destiny is all based upon grace, forgiveness, salvation. In Jesus' name. As we continue to sing this song, would you stand with me? I'm not going to close the service today. When you're finished, you're finished. You may go. My friends, let's turn this whole place into an altar today. Come on up, honey. Let's turn this whole place into an altar. You know what? If you you find you know someone in here, Holy Spirit's dropping a name on your heart, grab them and say, I need you to walk with me. I need you, I need to, I need to hold you, I need you to hold me tight. I need you to hold me accountable. And I'm gonna tell you something that I've never told anybody. And my friends, when that kind of stuff starts happening and people start coming up and confessing and grabbing a microphone and saying, you know what? I've been a board member at this church. I've been this, I've been that, I've been that. And this is who I am. This is what I'm doing, but no longer. What are we going to do? Because if we're going to walk in judgment, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. Or are we going to celebrate and say, that's who you used to be. But I know God's got great things for your future. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.